took his own life. And what I'd like to do with you this morning is just share in a very straightforward manner about the experience for our family this past week, where we're at now, things like suicide, and more importantly, discussions of things like faith and hope and salvation and resurrection. Because uh, I'm of the opinion that if I can't share honestly with you real life when real life happens, what are we doing here, right? And so that's what today is going to be about. Now, now I know some of you, um, you may have kids in here. If, if, if you've gotten to know me, you know me by now that uh, I'm pretty straightforward and direct. And, and, and I plan to have just a very honest, direct conversation. And I do not begrudge you, if, if, if you need at any point, even right now, to bring kids out to the rock or something like that. Oh, okay, I, I get it completely. But, but I feel that I need to share very honestly kind of what happened and what it's like, because if we can't be honest about it, then, then, then Christ's grace gets masked in the midst of it. And God becomes hidden oftentimes if we can't even be honest about the dark things. Are, are you with me on that? Um, and I just want to let you know, I, mean, I, I think I let the nine o'clock service know this a little bit too late. That my, my family has a bit of a dark sense of humor. And so I just want to give you permission right now that even in the midst of grief, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be present in the moment. It's okay to face this just kind of openly and honestly with all this kind of stuff. So, so let's kind of get into it, and let me just kind of start by telling you what happened. Over the past two years, my dad, um, his name is Oliver, people call him Ollie. My dad um, has been suffering from some chronic health issues. And with those chronic health issues, there was ongoing chronic pain. And with that chronic pain, there also came a lot of psychological pain. Now, you need to know something about my dad to kind of set the stage for going in. My dad was the most take-charge kind of guy that you probably have ever met. You know, my dad's greatest fears in life were becoming an invalid, were losing control, losing dignity, losing autonomy, being a burden on his family, watching his entire uh, life's legacy and what he's worked for be, be wasted away financially through a modern medical health system, but, but also emotionally um, from people remembering grandpa or dad here at the end, how he wouldn't want to be as opposed to how he postured himself his entire life through. And this was going on with my dad for, for the past two years, but, but, but more acutely for the past year in general. And he just had his birthday on Friday. He turned 67 years old. I got a chance to talk with him, uh, of course, and, and uh, he, he was pretty down. But no more so down than we hadn't heard him on other down days. And... Uh, didn't want company, and that was not uncommon for my dad these past several months. Noise would just kind of wig him out, and he didn't want that around. So 
so that was the last time we talked. Saturday came, and, and, and my stepmom said he was doing better. Sunday came, he was doing better. And Monday came when this all went down. And he was doing all right, if you can go with that. And, uh, and basically what happened is this. Um, my stepmom was sitting in the, in the kitchen at the, at the table, and it's kind of glassed in. There's, there's two, like, banks of windows there, and, and you can see the driveway and the garage out from her window. And my dad just got up and said, I need to go out to the garage to get something. Okay, you don't think twice about it. And he goes out. It's a beautiful day. He goes out to the garage. And my stepmom notices that he shuts the garage door. Now, that didn't really strike her as odd off the bat because he keeps his ladders up on the top and you kind of have to close the door to get up the ladders. And okay, they store stuff out there and maybe he needs to get up high. And then, it said, and then she told me it struck her. Yeah, Molly shouldn't really be getting up on a ladder with this vertigo thing and these health things going on. And so she proceeds to get up and walk out to the garage to, to help my dad. And then she hears the bang. And even if you're not around firearms much, there is a very distinct bang that it makes in which you know instantaneously what happened. My dad had purchased a shotgun and had hid it in the garage. Um, now, I need to give you a little context. It did not catch my family by utter surprise. When this happens, of course, you're surprised. But last December, my dad had hit a low point. And in that low point, his vertigo that was never ending came to a point where he couldn't even sleep. And when he would close his eyes, the room would start to spin and he would start to get nauseous. And he didn't have the right medication to control it. And after about two and a half days without sleep, the human psyche starts to break. It's a modern day interrogation technique. And what my dad did is, is, is he called up his, his doctor and he didn't feel like he was getting the answers he wanted. So he said, doctor, if you don't get me help right now, I am going to blow my genie head off. Okay, now, in the modern-day medical establishment, they don't screw around with this anymore. And within 10 minutes, there was a SWAT team around my dad's house in sleepy little Park Ridge. Okay, imagine taking your dog for a walk that morning, right? My brother, he's 27. He still lives at home. He doesn't even know this is going on. He's upstairs in the shower. He comes out. He walks downstairs, hears something. He's wearing nothing but a towel. And there's three guys in flak jackets with AR-15 <laughs> sitting there in his living room. And what this opened up was one of the most incredible talks that I ever got to have with my dad. We sat there with him for about 12 hours in the living room. Of course, they made him go to the hospital. He argued back and forth. I don't need to go. I don't, I'm not suicidal. I don't need to go. And he's like, Mr. Gadini, you're going. And when he found out that he had to go, do you know what my dad says? 
well, then at least will you let me drive? <laughs> because he knew that if he did, he's thrown up all over the back seat. Now, those of you with motion sickness know, but they did give him a bucket graciously. He was brought to the hospital that day. He came home and he sat us down. He goes, look, you need to know this. And you got to know my dad's personality to kind of hear the tone here and everything. This was not serious on my part. I'm not looking to do this. I wasn't planning on doing anything. But do you want to know the truth? Have I thought about it? Yeah, I have. Have I considered it? Yeah, I have. From which he proceeded for about an hour and a half to describe to me in all the ways he's thought it out and why he thinks it is a noble, good, right thing to do on all of these very logical kind of planes. We left my dad's house that day kind of braced for an inevitability. Going. If someone makes up their mind to do something, at some level, you're powerless to stop them. You can dissuade them, you can encourage them, you can surround them, you can make it as difficult as possible. But at some point, if someone is dead set on doing something, there's not much you can do about it. I think the way that Monday went down is a case in point. And some of you need to hear that here today. Because there's some of you here today who have been in a similar situation that my family is today. You've lost someone. And you lost them to suicide. And since that day, you have plagued yourself. If only I did this. I should have done that. If only this. If only that. If only that. And I am here to tell you today. There is nothing in your power that at some level you were able to do if that person who you love was said, I'm doing it. You can fight for them. You can pray for them. You can guard them. You can defend them. But that is not your guilt to bear. And I pray that some of you hear that loud and strong today. So, you know me. Let's get right to it. Why beat around the bush? I think as a church, we need to be open and honest and talk about the things other people are uncomfortable talking about because life is real and life is hard. And God comes down into the real and into the hard. God does not hide from it. And church is not about being a sanctuary where we deny that it exists. It's where we realize God is there in the midst of it, no matter how dark it might be. Here's the question that everyone asks. Rephrase. Here's the question that everyone thinks and everyone is afraid to ask. So Dave, does that mean that your dad is in hell because of suicide? So let's talk about it. First of all, I need to tell you this this morning. I have absolutely zero shame or embarrassment about any of this. I have absolutely zero shame or embarrassment about what my dad did. And some of you this morning need to hear that as well. Because some of you has lost someone, someone close, and it hurts and you're afraid to talk about it 
and you kind of let it carry you, carry around with you like this, this black cloud or this specter as though there's some, some deep and abiding shame that now has marked your family because of it. Oh, child of God, none of that. Hold your head high. There is no shame or embarrassment here. And some of you are in this room and you are suffering alone because you are afraid and embarrassed and ashamed to talk about it. Child of God, if you are in that place, hold your head high. There is no shame. Bring what is in the dark into the light and let God and God's people meet you there. Amen. But moving more to the heart of the punch here, what does this mean about my dad? Because my dad killed himself, does that mean he is in hell? I don't know any other way to answer that except this. Hell, no. Hell, no. Absolutely not. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Suicide does not sever you from the grace of God forever. See, one thing I've always liked about FOF is that that our, our community makeup here is very diverse of people from all kinds of different church and non-church backgrounds. I don't know if you realize this. We do not have a majority of one kind of church background here. That's surprising. We're a Lutheran church. The majority of people who go to FOF are not Lutheran, at least by church background. We are, in the church background sphere, a congregation of minorities. And I love it. But that means that we all come here with different backgrounds and different experiences and different perceptions and with them different questions and beliefs that, that, that we have to try to speak into the commonality. Now, I want to especially speak to those of you here who come from a Catholic background. I love my Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm going to stand by them in the kingdom of heaven someday. But i got to tell you, on this one, they're wrong. All right? Suicide is not the unforgivable sin. See, here's how the logic of it works, because it's not enough for me for people just to tell me that I need to know why. Are you like that? All right. Here's how it all kind of works. The idea behind it that kind of crept into Christian thinking went something like this. Well, in order to be forgiven, we need to repent. So if we sin and we want God to forgive us, we need to repent of our sins. Problem, how do you repent if you're dead? Right? Therefore, my conclusion, since you cannot repent of the sin of murder, which suicide is, you are murdering yourself. Therefore, God can't forgive you because you didn't repent. Do you know what the problem with the line of thinking is? It's the idea that what forgives you is your repentance. You're not forgiven because you repent. You're forgiven because Jesus died for your sins. You're forgiven because God is a gracious God. Because he overflows with grace and mercy. And he pours that grace and mercy out upon us. Despite the fact that we do deserve hell. We do deserve punishment. We do deserve death. 
But that God loves us so much that he says, my son died for you, and that's what covers your sins. Don't believe me? Let's take it to the logical extreme. Do you confess of your sins 24 hours a day? Or might it stand that when God calls you, you may have some unrepented of sins in your life? You see the problem here? Ah, those of you who are in this room and someone has taken their life and you walk around with that nagging and gnawing pain and fear and uncertainty and questioning and doubt that makes you wonder about God and wonder what happened and you have to tuck it away into dark corners because it's too painful to broach. Suicide does not send your loved one to hell because God is big and God is gracious. And what do the scriptures say? Where grace increases, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Amen? That being said, my dad did have a very peculiar and eclectic faith. And I need to tell you about this a little bit. And right now, maybe I need to speak a little bit more to those of us in the room who come out of evangelical backgrounds. I am not a universalist. I believe that hell is real. And I believe that people go there despite the fact that God does not want them to. And God spends an eternity kicking and fighting and screaming to save them from that fate. I believe that we are saved by grace of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection and that it comes through faith. Yes, I believe in the necessity of faith. But I think just like our Catholic brothers and sisters screw up repentance, sometimes I think our evangelical brothers and sisters screw up faith. And I need to talk to you a little bit about that because it really pertains to my dad. What did my dad believe? Well, these are things that my dad shared with me as recently as December. I believe there is a God. I believe there is a God because when I look at this universe and I see its complexity and beauty and array I cannot, with any sense of good conscience, believe that this came about by random chance. There is something too orchestrated and coordinated and amazing here to come from anything less than a creator. But my dad is a hardened evolutionist, too. He didn't see a contradiction between the two. And my dad would go on to say things like this. I believe the Judeo-Christian aspect of who God is probably comes closest on the religious world scene. Now, now he would say, I don't think Judeo-Christianity has, has it all on God. I don't think they got God all figured out, and I don't even think they got it all right. And you know what? I'm inclined to believe I'm inclined to agree with him a little bit. He also didn't think that all religions were the same, that everyone believed the same thing. That that's kind of ridiculous if you spend at least 45 seconds thinking about it. Uh, no, he didn't believe that at all, but he did believe, uh, you know, as close as any 
his words, man-made belief system is going to come. Judeo-Christianity is probably the closest. See, you got to know something about my dad. My dad had a a perverted form of superstitious Catholicism shoved down his throat from the time he was born until the time he ran kicking and screaming from it in graduation from college. He went to Catholic school his whole life. Grade school, high school, Loyola for college. And by the time he graduated from 16 years of a distorted form, and I don't mean Catholicism, a distorted form of Christianity, a distorted form of Catholicism, due to his intellectual growth, his experiences in the world, he ran as far as he could from anything Christian. Because the Christianity that my dad grew up with had very little to do with with the real presence of a real God in a relationship. As much as it had to do with a list of rules that you were supposed to follow and, and, and superstitions that, that, that were believed. And so when my dad graduated college, he, he, he ran kicking and screaming into secular humanism and into atheism. I had the amazing opportunity growing up to have two worldviews. My, my mom and dad divorced when I was two. My mom, who I lived with, a bulwark of the faith, a faith warrior who got it and walked with Jesus daily. And every weekend going to my dad's house and seeing the world through a different set of eyes. And I thank God for the opportunity that I got to grow up seeing the world in both ways. It's helped make me who I am. But then my dad started to have other kids. He remarried. And had two more brothers. Now, these are not Arthur and Tom. These are two other brothers that you haven't met. And he kind of came to the place of going, well, it's probably good that good values are instilled in my children, and maybe this church thing will help kind of accomplish that. So he found a lowest common denominator, non-denom church in the area that didn't really take a hard stand on anything. It wasn't an evangelical church, and it was kind of a, it was a gateway back in, and I praise God for that church because he wouldn't have clicked anywhere else. And in that time, God began to work in him. And things started to happen where he started to kind of come back around on God again. And so he believed there was a God, and he believed that the Judeo-Christian form of God was correct. And he even came to believe this, that Jesus is deity. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Son of God. But here is what my dad incessantly could not get around. That one is saved by grace. Because all the way to the end, for my dad, Christianity remained, probably from his upbringing, probably from his life experiences, who knows, something that it was about a system of rewards and punishments. That Christianity was fundamentally about a moral code 
that one was called to live. And that at the end, God would take the sum total of a man's life's work and weigh the good against the bad and the balance. And what my dad struggled with was the idea that is, that is the farthest thing of what Christianity is about. That Christianity is about grace and forgiveness and a God who forgives us despite our lack of goodness and prevalence of evil. That God comes to us and says, you don't have to impress me. You don't have to warm me up. You don't have to win me over. And he had difficulty getting his mind around that. My dad struggled with this as well. He prided himself on being a very rational, logical, reasonable, thought-out kind of guy. But early on, he was taught that faith and doubt could not coexist. And there's nothing further from the truth. One of my bad dad's biggest stumbling blocks, in which he admitted, probably out of a place of more faith than many of us who don't even express such things, would say, I struggle on this and on this, and I don't know about this, and I have doubts about this, and I understand the arguments, and I get how it works, but I still carry doubts about this. And my dad walked around, I believe, with a certain level of fear through the better part of his life, thinking that because he did not have doubt, because he did have doubt, he did not have faith. And I want to speak to some of you who are in the room here today in that place thinking that faith and doubt are antithetical. Because they're not. Faith and doubt are dancing partners. They like to walk together. My dad was an army guy. He was military, and that kind of defined a lot of his life. And I remember this one time we had this cool conversation, and I just asked him once, Dad, what do you think courage is? And we talked about it, and I posed the question, Dad, is courage the absence of fear? Does what makes someone brave the fact that they just say, oh, I don't care, I'm not afraid of that, and they just go do it? And he said, absolutely not. And what I shared with him that day was that faith is the exact same thing. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the job in the face of fear. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is trusting, despite the fact that there's doubts there. And as my dad and I would talk, I, I saw some of the scales fall from his eyes, if you know what I mean, in some of those conversations. But you know, my dad also believed this. That this is all there is. He didn't believe in the concept of heaven or hell or an afterlife or, or nirvana or, or, or Hindu world soul or, or any of those kinds of things. He didn't believe in the you know, Elysian fields or any other kind of mythology either or Valhalla that you want to go to either, all right? Um, he just didn't. He just kind of figured that, you know, when it's done, the atoms, they just kind of go out and and the conservation of matter just kind of reorients them into the universe in some other form and not reincarnated, just 
out there. And the irony of this whole thing is that my dad, who believed that this was all there is, was somewhat afraid by that. And it led him to end this prematurely. Where, where someone like me who believes that there is more than just this. But maybe more so those I meet who believe there's more than just li- than this often leads them to endure. Why do I share this with you? Because the question is this. Did my dad believe in God? And therefore, is my dad saved? You know, it doesn't even apply to us in suicide, does it? How many of us have lost someone or we worry and we we fear and we pray for someone because we wonder if they have faith? It's okay to ask those questions. But I think we've got to talk about them honestly and what faith is. I have never heard my dad utter a sinner's prayer. I never witnessed my dad come forward to an altar call. I never heard my dad articulate, I believe that I am a sinner, but that Jesus Christ died for me, and by the propitiation of what he accomplished on the cross, my sins are atoned for, and I now stand in right relationship with the Heavenly Father who sent him on my behalf so that I may live forever. I never heard it. But does that mean my dad didn't have faith? Hell no. I think we who are evangelical sometimes reduce what this thing called faith actually is. We get guilty sometimes, I think, of making faith almost a work. Something we have to do. Something that is completely rational and cognitive. But let me push you on that. Do you believe that about faith? Let me ask you, those of you who have kids, when's the last time you've heard your four-year-old articulate that? If you believe that faith is necessary for salvation, that applies to your infants too. Have you heard it? Or what about your grandma, whose mind has been robbed by Alzheimer's? and can't articulate such things anymore. Shoot, let me ask you, could you articulate it the way I did? Does that mean you don't have faith? See, I think sometimes we mess up what faith is. We make faith completely cerebral, completely a cognitive thing, and forget that faith is better understood as an inclination of the heart. Because what faith is all about is not you sucking up the courage to make some decision, though there is a place for that. Faith is about God assaulting you and bombarding you and pouring himself upon you and coming at you with the spirit again and again and again, working on your heart, working on your heart, turning your heart, working in there, inclining your heart to him as opposed to a way. Let me ask you a question today. Can an infant trust their mother? 
Now, I don't know. Maybe your kids are prodigies. But we've had three. And as they were crowning, I never heard a single one come out and go, Mom, I understand that you have a maternal instinct to take care of me. I choose to trust you this day. It just, it just didn't happen. Does that mean that they didn't instinctually trust their mom? That's faith, and yet they didn't even know their mom's name. I believe that faith is necessary. And I believe that, that what God does in the heart of faith it has to be fed with the cognitive side. It has to be fed with other things. It has to be fed with decision. Otherwise, it withers and often dies. But that doesn't mean my dad had the absence of faith. I saw God working in my dad's heart. No matter how he articulated I saw what God was doing there. And it's for that reason I could stand here today with all hope, knowing that God is good. And though God is just, His love often trumps His justice. And entrust my dad to God today. Because I know that for however much I love my dad, God loved him more. For however much I prayed for my dad, Christ prayed for him more. For however much I talked to my dad and yearned for my dad and, 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 and I'm concerned for my dad, God is infinitely more. And the same is true for the, each of you. And I know that God is good and I trust him. And it's for that reason I can say, Dad, I can, God, I can leave my dad in your hands today. And I'm at peace with that. Why did my dad do it? We can talk about the effects of depression. We can talk about what, what a personality like that does in the face of inevitability and the belief of hopelessness and helplessness. We can talk about those things and those things are good, but I think there's a lower common denominator that we need to go to today. Why did my dad kill himself? Because he's a sinner and sinners do sinful things. I've been thinking about this passage of Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they have, may have life and have it to the full. My dad, when he did this, it was intentional. It was planned. He began to believe that this was better for the family, better for him, better all the way around. He, you know what my dad did? He began to believe the lies. Because that's what the devil does. He lies to us. My dad started to listen to him. Don't get weird on me. It's not like my dad got possessed or something like that, all right? This is what the devil does. He gets us to believe things because what we do follows what we believe. This is why it is so important 
to get straight what truth actually is. And my dad bought into it. And there's the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he had a momentary victory that day. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And despite the fact that darkness faced the Gadini family this week, the light shines in the darkness, and that light's name is Jesus, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I'm here sharing with you today, because even though we had to say goodbye to Dad and to Grandpa, that goodbye is not forever. And just as I've spoken to many of you when I've stood by your sides, when your loved one was in a casket, I say to myself right now, today might be goodbye, but it is not the end. And this is not the last chapter in Oliver Gadini's story. Because Christ is more than just about faint hope. He's more than just about a fuzzy feeling. He's about resurrection. Life after life after death. He's about resurrection, and my family stands here saying, Grandpa, we had to say goodbye. And my gosh, I hope God smacks you up one side of the head when you get there. What are you doing? But we we'll love you, and we miss you, and we're going to see you again. Because Christ is risen. Amen? And that's why we're here today. And that's what this is about. I want to speak to those of you who are in that place where you feel like it is helpless and hopeless. There are no such words in God's vocabulary. It is never helpless and hopeless. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter what is being whispered into your ear and you've come to believe. If you are in a place and you are thinking about suicide, I want you to promise me that you will talk to me or your doctor or your counselor first. I want you to promise me that you will do that before you ever attempt to go through with anything. In fact, I actually, I actually want you to do this. All right. And, and, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask like, okay, who are the five suicidal people in the room? Please stand up. Cause you know, really? I want each and every one of you to promise this to me. Cause you know what? Each and every one of you are sinners too. And none of us are out of the possibility of what sin can do. I want you to verbalize it here to me today. And even if you're in a place today where this has never been on your grid, where you never think about it, where it's not even an issue, let your voice help mask the voices of others who need to say it and who need to say it out loud. So I am going to ask you, and all you need to do is say yes together, loud and strong. Are you with me? All right. Will you promise me 
that before you ever attempt to go through with taking your own life, that you will talk to me or your doctor or your counselor first. I am holding you to it. I am holding you to it, all right? All right. You are so valuable to God. And your life means so much to him here. My dad, he took his own life. But his life is valuable to God's too. You know, um, when I got the news, uh, you got to know Tina and I, we kind of went into like high gear mode. We get very focused. Okay, what do we got to do? It's just how we kind of respond in crisis. It's not a denial thing. It's just how we cope. But then those moments come when it sits in and you can breathe. And those of you who have grieved, you know the moments that I'm talking about. And I remember it came that, that, that Monday night. And I, and I finally got off the phone and we told the kids and, and had been through a long day together. And, you know, I, and I just, uh, I remember, you know, I just went out to the garage and I just, I just wept. I picked up a songbook we happened to have. I didn't want to read the Bible. I didn't want to study a text. I didn't want to process through it. And I remember I, and I told Tina, Hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to the garage just for a little bit. And then it kind of hit me. Oh, that was not the right thing to say. <laughs> to which I came back in right away. No, 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 not like that, sweetie. Not like that. All right. I just, I'm just going out there to, to kind of pray. And, and all that would really come to mind for me. It was, it, it's, it's an old classic song. You may have seen it. It starts like this. And all I could do was, was stand in that garage and sing. To those of you who are grieving here today, be it with me or because you face it in your own way, let the words of this song be your war cry. Allow God to breathe into your soul. Allow them to move you and change you and transform you and drive out the lies of the devil and breathe in Christ's hope. That's why we're here. You know, it would be an honor to me if you would sing this with me today. I've asked the band intentionally not to come forward. Just together, let's sing it a cappella, and by verse 2, your voices are going to have to carry mine. All right? Um, I just invite you to that. So let's get on our feet, if you would. And uh, may this be the life song of today.
I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort this sweet sentence gives. And may the risen Christ, who has conquered death, who has conquered the grave, who has conquered hopelessness and helplessness and suicide, may he assault you. May he pour himself upon you and in you and through you with his grace and his goodness and his life and his hope. Because Christ is risen and that means everything. Amen. It was an honor to be able to share this with you today. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for so many of you for your thoughts and your prayers and your encouragement here this week. Thanks, guys. Why don't you go ahead and uh, have a seat. Again, thank you. And, uh, you know, this will get you out of here in just a moment. I just want to encourage you one last time. Those of you who carry the shame, those of you who carry the fear, those of you who carry the idea, those of you who carry the aftermath, God loves you. God is there. There is hope. Hold your head high, children of God. And I would love to talk with you more about it. Hey, radical shift of gears, but we need to get you going. Um, ushers are going to come forward in a moment. You know the drill, right? I don't need to give this. You brought an offering, drop it in the bucket. You brought a connection card, please uh, fill it out. Drop it in the bucket. Y y you know, last week um, I, I, I shared with some just radically different tone and topic than today about this Chapter 3 campaign where we're, we're seeking to to renovate the entire multimedia infrastructure of FOF. And uh, we said last week that starting today, we were going to encourage you to, to make pledges. Um, and all through the month of May that we were going to collect these. The way you can do this is right on the back of the connection card. And guys, look, I know this is like so, like 180 at the moment. But, you know, even when I sent the email this Friday, it was like, well, I sent it two days after I sent the one about my dad and I sent it. So if I could send it in that kind of time, you can deal with it in this kind of time, all right? Just kind of pull out the card and I'll show you how this works. You know, there's different ways to make a pledge and it's up to you. Maybe you want to make a one-time gift, you know, over and above what you normally give because we're not looking to cut under the ministry that we're doing. But maybe you're looking to make a gift over and above and you just want to do it like a one-time thing, right? Just, just write that amount in. And if you got any kind of rough idea when that date might be, do that as well, because it helps us plan for knowing how to move forward with purchasing and building and so forth.
Maybe instead you want to give something every week or like every paycheck, like bi-weekly, bi-monthly, whatever you call it. Um, or, uh, or once a month. Well, you can see that that line right under there. Just fill that line in what that would look like every week or every month and just kind of check the designation so we know how to compute and, and estimate. We're not taking debt for this project. We're going to do what we as a collective community come together and choose to do. And maybe you want to do a combination of the two and then that's fine as well. Um, I want to talk to you very briefly about this before we move forward. What this campaign is, is, is not about is about trying to wow you or impress you with great multimedia. It's not try, about trying to put on a show. It's not about anything like that. Honestly, it's about being able to get up and communicate the Word of God to you without a mic dying. And when we're together as a community and those moments strike, it's not that God stops working, our attention gets diverted. This stuff matters. We came in this morning, and I was trying to prepare myself to talk at 9, and that projector died, as it does 80% of the time. And we had to go through a full reboot system. And what that means is that those who are serving you aren't able to serve 100% because their mind is distracted by logistical things. What this is about is coming and worshiping to the full. Worshiping to the full in all the ways that God draws us in, and worshiping in a way that we don't get distracted in those amazing God moments because crackling or snapping or fading, you get the idea. This is a way for us to say, this means everything to us, and we're pouring us up, and that's what chapter 3 is about. So if you'd like to make a pledge, we're doing them all through May again, you just fill it out right there, you drop it in the bucket on the way by, or you can bring it to the Welcome Center after worship today. Does it make sense? Cool, guys. All right, ushers, if you'd like to hop on that, that'd be great. While they are doing that, I, I want to let you know just about a, um, a couple of other things and, and something that we need to celebrate here today. All last April, we'd engaged with other McHenry area churches in this, this, this uh, just amazing collective food drive. And uh, people don't realize it, but hunger is an issue right here in McHenry County as much as it is in the third world. And, and the food pantries are running thin and people are looking. And when they're trying to pay all these different kind of bills and keep afloat, getting food like this goes a long way with a lot of families. The churches in McHenry gathered together and our goal was to raise 10,000 pounds of food. And last Sunday, we gathered all the food raised from all the churches over at McHenry West and had a, a worship celebration that was just incredible. And uh, what's a guess? 11,533 pounds of food. Fellowship of Faith, you raised 1,750 pounds of food. Which means the goal could not have been accomplished if it wasn't for you, without you. What you do makes a difference. So let's praise God for that and, uh, and give him all, all grace and glory, right? Yeah.
it was pretty cool in between services today. We had a motorcycle blessing out in the parking lot, and it's just great to be there to pray with those of you who rode in today. Listen, we're going to get out of here in a second, but I got one more thing to ask. A lot of you know Mandy Palowski, longtime um, attender here at Fellowship of Faith. I met her when she was in sixth grade. She's getting married next Saturday. That's weird. People that I know that are 12 should not get married, but it happens. I need like six guys. We got to move that cross down here for the wedding for one Sunday. If you could hold back, that would be appreciated. And by the way, um, I wanted to let you know on chapter three as well. If you've got questions, that email that went out, go to our giving page website. It's posted there and you can read all about the ins and outs. We are having a town hall meeting if you want more like face-to-face Q&A time today at noon and two weeks from today at noon. Um, So feel free to come to that as well. God bless. Thank you.